All right, have you ever heard of a man called Christmas Evans? No? Well, I'm going to tell you about Christmas Evans. I'm not going to tell you much about him. But Christmas Evans was a famous Welsh preacher, 19th century. And he's often quoted by uh, people in ministry, people in leadership, uh, because he said this, or supposedly said this, as far as we're aware, he said this. I'd rather burn out than rust out in the service of the Lord. Sounds great, doesn't it? Sounds like a very much like, let's pick up the sword and charge here. Let's go for it. One of his contemporaries, James Berkeley, is said to have, upon hearing this, responded with this. He said, I admire the bravado. It sounds dedicated, bold and stirring. However, when I view the burnouts and the almost burnouts who lie by the ecclesiastical road, the glory fails to reach me. Is there not a third alternative? In Acts chapter 20, Paul stated, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Herein lies the model I choose to follow. I want to neither burn out nor rust out. I want to finish out the reins. And I think that's much wiser. We don't want to burn out. We don't want to rust out. We want to finish out. We want to finish the race. We want to do what the Lord has for us. And he has stuff for us. Each and every one of us. You know, we're going to be doing Ephesians. Starting um, next Sunday morning. Lord willing. And when we get into Ephesians and get through it, we're going to see in there, you know, the great verses of salvation by grace alone, Ephesians 2.8. But you read on and say that God has ordained, he's literally ordained, put before good works that you may walk in them. God wants you to finish the race that he has set out for you. Unfortunately, in the race, we, sometimes we stop. Sometimes we go the wrong way. Sometimes we try and take detours. But God has a race that he wants us to run. Author Dave Gibbons, um, 21st century pastor, writing later about this, agrees with what Berkeley says. He says, it's not about burning, it's about burning on, not burning out. So how do we do that? How do we finish the race? We do what the Lord has for us. We don't get caught up in sidetracks and going backwards and being stuck, whatever it is. How do we cope with everything that is in this world today and see what God has for us and clearly walk in the path that he has for us? Well, we can only do that in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are measures and things that we can look at. And that's what I want to look at this morning, really. If you, if you remember, can you flick back on so I can control that, please? And if you remember, the last time that we, we looked at this in our um, series, and this is the last one in this little kind of impromptu series in the local chart, we looked about kind of the, the mental health aspect. And I flagged all these thing, things up. And I want to... I want to Continue and think about the mind, really, because this is a mindset. Because, you know, we all know Romans. If you're a Christian any length of time, you're going to get to know Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. We hear it all the time. Good. It's great. Truth. But it's, it's not a verse in isolation. It's not an island. In verse 2... 
says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is that? That's the race that God has for you. It's a battle for the mind. We're to put on the mind of Christ. We're to think like he thought. Sacrificial. Dedicated. Committed. Unfortunately, we live in a world and we fight against an enemy that knows this right well. So he does everything he can to get your thinking off whack. To get your mind off him onto other things and to distort your thinking. And distorted thinking leads to distorted decisions. It's a flow. It's a flow. So there's a, there's a battle for the mind. And I've, I've, kind of, I've preached this before, this what I'm going to teach. And, and the Lord probably will do little different things in this this morning as we allow the Spirit to work. But I want to take us back to the life of Elijah. Because Elijah is a perfect example of how uh, faulty thinking can lead to faulty decision making. It's a perfect example of it. So we're going to look at it. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings chapter number 18 this morning. And we're going to pick up with Elijah. And we're going to pick up Elijah. If you look at verse 46 of 1 Kings 18. Verse 46 of 1 Kings 18. It says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So we did a little bit of context in this, and, and a lot of you will know this, but we want, to, we want to get into context. This is at the end of the events of 1 Kings chapter 18. In 1 Kings chapter 18, what has happened is that Elijah, the prophet of God, has challenged the people of Israel to their behavior. And their behavior has been influenced by their thinking. Somewhere along the line, they have decided and thought for themselves that the false gods that the pagans worshipped were greater than the one true God. Somewhere along the line, the thinking has, has gone wrong and it's led to bad decision making. And God sends his prophet, as he does, to correct the people, to bring them back onto himself. And you get this big showdown on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is at uh, uh, Megiddo. There's a big plain, a big flat plain. And you can sit at Mount Carmel. If you've been to Israel, you, you can go there now. And if you've been, you go up there and you'll see. And you, you see a cross. It's, 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 it's spectacular, really. And what happens in 1 Kings 18 is this... this kind of standoff between this prophet of God and the prophets of Baal. Baal being one of the false gods. Storm gods, god of the skies. And there's a battle in shoes. And if you look at verse 21 of 1 Kings 18. Elijah comes along to the people and he says, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answer to him, not a word. So here we are, on Mount Carmel. These prophets of Baal have gathered. Uh, Elijah gets up and he makes this great declaration to the people. And basically says, choose. Choose. Now here the King James says, halt. 
That's what we call a false friend in that translation. What do I mean by a false friend? I mean that it's not a wrong word when it was written, but the meaning of that word has changed. It's changed. So when I, to be honest, when I, when I read this and had it you know, years ago, I always thought it meant don't stop. Halt. That's what halt means usually. But halt originally means to limp. Walk, to walk with a halt. It's, it's a limp. So what Elijah is really saying is, is don't limp between two. Don't go one to the other. Now, <laughs> this is to the children of Israel. We sit here as the church and the application is absolutely the same. Elijah could come back this very moment and go amongst the churches and say the very same thing and it would have very real application. Don't go between the world and God. Choose. Who is it? Who's it going to be? It's going to be God. Let it be God. Follow him. If it's going to be Baal, it's going to be the world. Follow the world. But stop going one to another. Make your mind up. Make your call. Nail your colors to the mass and say, God is God. If God is God, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to follow him. Why? Because he's God. The most miserable of lives. In this world today, most miserable in the world today, I'm not talking about eternal hope, most miserable in the world today, it's not the lost person, it's not the saved person, it's the in between person, back and forth. Miserable. It's miserable. Elijah says, just stop doing that. What are you going to do, Israel? And there's this challenge laid down to the prophets of Baal. And we'll just, for sake of time, we'll kind of skip along. But what happens is that God shows himself, he reveals himself as the one true God. Those prophets of Baal are slain. And after this great spiritual triumph, and it is a spiritual triumph, it's a big deal. And Israel's gathered at the time of the evening sacrifice. Fire comes from heaven and kindles uh, the altar that has been laid by Elijah. The challenge was for Baal to do it. Baal didn't do it because God is sovereign. It's the time of the evening sacrifice. It's really dusk. What's happening? It's this mountaintop. And you can see for miles. The whole nation could see across. Not a big place, Israel. Fire coming down from heaven. At dusk, pretty spectacular, right? It's a spectacular victory. But what follows on from Elijah's spectacular victory is really a spectacular fall in his thinking. And that thinking leads to some very rash kind of statements and decision making. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Elijah's from this point on. And we're going to have a look and see the triggers that can affect our thinking. And how we're to watch out for them and how we're to correct them. And see where this slopey uh, um, kind of uh, fall of thinking starts and where it ends up, where it leads to. So here's the first trigger. Exhaustion. Exhaustion. This is this whole burnout, rust out thing. We don't want to burn out. We don't want to rust out. We want to finish out. That's beautiful. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to, the way I'm saying thank you, Lord, is because when you use illustrations, it's, it's really good. What have we got today? What's going on out there? 
marathon. What do they have to do? Run. But more importantly, they've got to finish the race. Right? So what do they do? Sprint from the start? What's going to happen? Burnout. Burnout. They have to pace themselves. They have to do it in the right way. They have to regulate to finish that race. Here we have Elijah, verse 46 of 1 Kings 18. He's had this great spiritual event. What's the thing that he does? He's running. Getting back to Jezreel. So there's, when we come to 1 Kings 19, and we're going to see Elijah and the stuff, I want you to get that he's in a fatigued state. He has fought a spiritual battle which takes it out of you. He has then physically exerted himself to get to Jezreel. And then 1 Kings 19 comes along and we're going to see that his thinking is affected by that. You ever get tired? (laughs) When you're tired, are you at your best? In terms of your attitudes and behaviours? No, no, of course you're not. I want you to get through this, all of this, that body, soul, and spirit are connected. They're not separate identities. When we are finally restored and redeemed, this body, soul, and spirit is put together perfectly again. But until that point, we live in this, we live in this uh, frame of the sin nature and physical limitation. Body, soul, and spirit, all connected. One will affect the other. Even, even the secular world recognizes this. If you have any form of kind of uh, wrong type of thinking and you go to the doctor, the first thing he'll say to you is what? Are you exercising? Are you sleeping properly? Why? Because they've recognized this is how the body responds. Elijah's fatigued. He's tired. And what happens when you're tired and the situation comes along? Do you take it in your stride or do you tend to overreact? You overreact, right? A, mountain, a molehill becomes a mountain at times. If you're tired, you're just in, <laughs> not sleeping properly, you're, you're wrecked physically, you're exhausted, and then something happens and boom. Your thinking's out of whack. This is Elijah, he's exhausted. Look at verse 2. Of 1 Kings 19. Next trigger in the whole thing. Intimidation. Look at verse 2. 1 Kings 19. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. So let the gods do to me. And more also if I make not thy life as one of them. By tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that he arose and went for his life. This is Elijah. Same Elijah from 1 Kings 18 that has literally stood and faced down the prophets of Baal on his own. What's he say? I'm running for my life. Intimidation. Intimidation. If he's threatened. Now here's the thing about a threat. You can't see a threat. You can't see a threat. But it'll bother you all the time. It's a thinking thing. It's a mindset. And often we turn these things into fears. Fears about job security. Fears about school. Fears about social life. Fears about whatever it is. And we take it and our thinking becomes wrong. And a definition was given to fear. 
and a lack of fears. And like this. Definition is this simply that fears are false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. And they can consume your thinking. Consume your thinking. We've got to fight these things. But Elijah here, this is just a threat. Jezebel hasn't turned up. There's nobody there in front of him that's going to kill him. But is this the same Elijah from 1 Kings 18? Yes, same person. But what's, what's different? His mindset is something's not right. He's not thinking properly. Why? Exhaustion. When you're tired, you're oversensitive. Oversensitive to uh, people around you. Oversensitive to what you perceive as a threat or as a fear. Or as a worry or an anxiety. These things can consume you, whatever it is. Yet they have no substance. Things that haven't happened can stop you from sleeping, feeding into this exhaustion thing. I remember, just as an example from my own life, when, when my mother passed away, you know, 17, 18, when she passed away uh, from cancer, for, for so long, in my mind, I was going to die young. Honestly. In my mind, I thought, I'm getting cancer. I'm going to die. What was that? False evidence appearing real. And, and the dominating factor that I had in my thinking was this. If I'm going to die soon, I'm going to live with no care for anything else now. Borrow money, I ain't paying it back. What are you going to do? <laughs> live the life, didn't care. What, what's, what's, what's in there? This intimidating thing, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Well, everybody dies. I'm still here. I've outlived my mother actually now. What was happening there? Impacting my thinking. Intimidating me. So here we have Elijah, you know, exhaustion, intimidation. It doesn't seem like, you know, the same kind of mindset as what's going on in 1 Kings 18. What does that lead to? Separation. Look at verse 3. So it says, when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and what? Notice what it says, and left his servant there. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. See the pattern, what's going on here? In the thinking process. Just, you know, go away. I'm in a bad place. I need to deal with this myself. (laughs) If you're in a bad place... The worst thing you can do is try and deal with that yourself in the body of Christ. Worst thing. Worst thing. But that's the thinking. That's the mindset. He left his servant. Walls up. Said, no, you stay here. This is, I'm, I need to do this alone. I need to be alone. Walls up. Isolating people. The perspective becomes negative. We're going to see this. Notice that he left his servant, but he himself, there's a loneliness here, self-inflicted, went a day's journey where? Into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. And this is what this mindset does. It leads us from the place where the river of life is to the wilderness. 
takes you out of the church body so that you can do this on your own, away from everybody else. That's the enemy. The enemy's the isolator. God is a unifier. That's scriptural. We are one in the body of Christ. Christ brings us together, neither Jew nor Gentile. We're the church of God. What does the enemy want to do? Separate us. Isolate us. This is what's happening. Then that leads to desperation. Look at his, look at his language in verse number 4. Comes to the wilderness, came, sat down on a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might die. Halt ye not between two opinions. If God be God, two, it's enough now. I want to die. It's a big change, isn't it? It's a big change. It's a big change. But here's the desperation. You know, these are all exhaustion, intimidation, separation, and then the point of desperation. And who is around, from a human point of view, to speak into his life and say, Elijah, come on, just get some sleep. No one. Why? Because he's isolated himself. He's isolated himself. This is Elijah's enough moment. I'm sure at times we've had enough moments. Maybe not as extreme as Elijah's, but... You know, we can look back in our lives where we're just, it's too much. It's enough. But often in those too much moments, we are exhausted. And we are separated. And we are intimidated by these fears that are flowing around. And then that leads us to this thing, point that it's enough, I can't cope. Can't cope. It's the next one, Comparison. At the end of verse 4. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. What's going on here? Elijah's looking at himself going, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not like um, the great uh, man of old. I'm no better than those that came before and messed it up. What is this? It's comparison. It's the weapon of the enemy. I can't tell you how much I believe this. This is why social media, for all it's good, you may love it, but the enemy will use it to bring this weapon of his arsenal in. Comparison. When you think about how many times in the last month, all of us, how many times we have compared ourselves to somebody who we think has it better. If you're honest with yourself, we have a tendency to do that, right? That's a weapon of the enemy. It's a weapon of the enemy. Now, we very rarely compare ourselves to somebody that has it worse. We don't look and go, do you know why I'm so thankful for all that I have? Because I could easily have a life like that. 
We do it the other way around. Social media is this world of false projection of what people want you to see of their lives. Not the reality. Can't be. It's a snapshot. But we look at it and go, do you know why? Why, why are they getting the breaks? Comparison. Comparison. And here Elijah is comparing himself. The question is, did God ask him to compare himself to anybody? No. He just asked him to do what he asked him to do and he did it. We get to John chapter number 21 and, and Peter has his great restoration of ministry as the Lord deals with his heart issues and this impulsive nature and really gets him to see that if you say it, you do it. And Peter says, yeah, you know, no, no problem, I'll, I'll do, you know, feed my sheep, all that, I'm, I'm in. Then he looks around and goes, what about John? What is that? Comparison. What's the Lord says? Say, don't worry about him. Follow me. Follow me. There's no room for comparison. If you're in Christ, saved by grace through faith in his blood, then the only person you should see in you and in others that are saved is the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no levels. There are choices that we make that affect our lives. But in him... We are complete. End of. I don't need to compare myself to anybody because I have everything in Christ Jesus. Should be the Christian's mantra. Unfortunately, it's not. But all these types of triggers, exhaustion, intimidation, separation, desperation, comparison, all kind of lead into these things where we start to, uh, our thinking becomes warped, it becomes wrong. And then we start to make stupid decisions. And say stupid things and do stupid things. Because we're not in the right frame of mind. What is the right frame of mind? The mind of Christ. What should Elijah be saying? Thank you Lord for protecting me. Thank you Lord for the opportunity to serve you. Thank you Lord for the victory at Mount Carmel. Praise your name. You are high and holy above all. Or what a privilege it is to serve you. What a privilege it is to have a path laid out before me by you. What a privilege it is to have you with me each and every day. What a privilege it is to know that I'll never be alone. What a privilege it is to know that you have everything in your hands. And that one day I will be with you for an eternity. That's right thinking. What a privilege it is Lord to sacrifice for you. Because your name is high and holy. That's right thinking. That's Christ like thinking. Submitted servanthood. But when we allow these triggers and we don't deal with them, it's going to start to affect our thinking and we're going to start to think, not with the mind of Christ, but with the mind of the world. Not with godly wisdom, but with earthly wisdom. This is what we're doing in James. What does that mean? We're going to do all these things. We're going to try and fix things ourselves. Off we go. And we're going to end up in the same place that Elijah ends up in. So that's the triggers. Let's quickly talk about the, the treatment this morning. First thing, physical. Look at this, verse 5 and 6. I love this. I love it. Verse 5 of 1 Kings 19. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, sleep, behold, then an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. What's going on here? Verse 5, it says that Elijah's sleeping. But the angel wakes him up, feeds him and says, sleep again. Do a little bit of sanctified imagination. And we can suggest that in the place Elijah is in, before the Lord deals with him, that he's sleeping, but he's not really having good sleep. Like you know if you're in this place where your thinking's not right, you're exhausted, you're intimidated, you're isolating yourself, you put your head down, you have a sleep, you wake up in the morning and feel like you haven't slept. What's going on? The mind. The mind's not right. You're not settled in the Lord. And I love what, what the angel does. Now, bear in mind, he is literally, Elijah has literally just said, kill me. And what happens when the angel comes? Elijah, let's go to the book of the law. Let's go to God's commandments. It's not lawful to kill another. Suicide, self-murder. Is that what the angel does? What do we want to do as Christians sometimes when somebody's in this place? We want to run in with our Bible and remind them what God has said about the matter. Brilliant. Sometimes it's needed straight away. Sometimes people just need to be encouraged, to be loved, and to get into the frame of mind where they can hear these truths from the Word of God. You ever been in that place where you're struggling with something and somebody comes along and tells you a scripture verse that you already know? <laughs> like, you think I don't know that? You're in the valley. Somebody comes along and says, well, you know, God's with you. Yeah, I know. I know. But I'm just, I am where I am at the minute. And I love this, that, that the angel comes along and doesn't chastise him. But simply cares for him. No sermon, no lecture, doesn't make him feel ashamed. Just cares for him. Because he knows that he's physically exhausted and that's affecting the way he thinks. Next one, mental. Look at verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came unto him again the second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for thee and he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days 40 nights into Horeb the mount of God I really think that there's a correction in in Elijah's mental thinking here that he has to understand this paradoxical truth that the journey is too great for you but but it's not in him. He's fed. He's given food. And he went in the strength of that food. 
40 days and 40 nights. 40 is the time of testing in Scripture. Bring it forward to a church application. Christ is the bread of life. He is our strength. That the journey is too great for us. We should all admit that. The minute you think you can do this journey on your own, your thinking is absolutely out the window. The true realisation, the best realisation, is to understand we cannot do it. But in the strength of that food, for us, spiritual food, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do what he has asked us to do. Elijah needed his thinking corrected and the Lord ministers to him and he goes on in the journey. So we've got physical, mental treatment, physical treatment, also spiritual treatment. Look at verse 9. And he came to a cave and lodged there and behold the word of the Lord. This is the Memra, the Logos, the word of the Lord. Uh, This is a Christophany, I believe, came to him and he said unto him, What doest Hear Elijah. Again, these are the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-present eyes of the Lord. Same in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? Why are you hiding? Where are you? Rhetorical question. Same for Elijah. What are you doing here? Is he talking about the cave? I think he's talking about his attitude, his mind. He says, why are you in this place? Why are you thinking the way that you're thinking? Elijah goes on and he, he, he says, basically, verse 10, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts that the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain the prophets with a sword, and I, even I only am left, and I seek my life to take it away. So here we have this kind of spiritual encounter where the word of God is speaking to Elijah clearly. And, and what he's saying is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why are you in this place? And I think that's a, a word that resonates and should resonate. I think we live in a, in a culture, and I, and I want to be very clear on this, where we use mental health and the way we think as an excuse for our behaviour. Mental health is never an excuse for sin. There is no excuse for sin. None. None. And when it comes to spiritual matters, we have to get in a place where we replace lies with the truth. Because when we're not thinking right, and sometimes we are using our, the way we think as an excuse to sin, we need a, a rebound, a recheck in our thinking. And here Elijah, he makes a statement. The Lord says, why are you here? And he says, I've done all this, verse 10. I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Was that true? Yeah. Children of Israel forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars. Was that true? Yes. They'd slain the prophets with a sword. Was that true? Yes. And then he makes a statement, even I only am left. Was that true? No, no. Did he think it was true? Yeah, why? Isolated, separated, intimidated, desperate. What's he saying? It, this is all relies on me. Me, me, me. 
God has to correct the thinking. Look at verse 18 as we compare. This is what the Lord says. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. Here Elijah has this correction. That it's not all on him. God has it. God always has it. But our thinking thinks sometimes that we have to deal with it alone. That everything rises and falls on us. I think pastors are particularly guilty of this. That everything rises and falls on them. If I'm not here, it's not going to happen. Listen. God is bigger than any man. Elijah needed to realize that. He needed the encouragement. He needed a little bit of reset. And that's what he got. So what I'm saying to you from the life of Elijah as we wrap this all up. We can look at it and we can see the triggers for wrong thinking. And the thing with these triggers is we have to identify them. But it's no good just identifying them. We have to do something. We have to counter them. So if we are feeling exhausted, what do we do? We have to receive the treatment of physical. Make sure we're sleeping well. Make sure we're exercising. Do those things. We start to get desperate or isolated. What do we do? We've got to fight against that. Call out, admit, and call somebody in to help. To walk alongside. That you might be fed and built up. Your thinking starts getting desperate. You start to compare. Well, you need then the spiritual truth of the word of God to tell you who you are in Christ Jesus. That you are blessed beyond measure in him. You've got to replace the lies with the truth. And when the truth speaks, we need to act in that truth and apply it in our lives. And you will see that God will speak against all of those triggers that want to pull you away. When we go to God and his word, he will instruct us to look after ourselves. What? Know ye not? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. New Testament. Look after ourselves. He'll tell you to make sure that you don't disconnect from the body of Christ. We did that, didn't we? In the one another. One another, one another, one another. Not to isolate, to come together. He'll give you the spiritual correction. He'll give you the truth that you can replace the lies with. And then, when you do these things and act on these things and walk in these things, we will, I have no doubt about this, if you do these things, and you seek the Lord, and you serve the Lord, you will finish the race well. You won't burn out, you won't rust out, you won't stop out. You'll finish out. And that's what we want to do. We don't want to run away and hide. We want to stand for Christ. Walk in Him. So if this morning you've come and you think, I can't cope, let's identify those triggers Let's receive the treatment and let's do what God wants us to do. Let's pray.